Hello and welcome to the Good Teaching Podcast. This is the podcast where we ask college instructors what their most effective teaching strategies are. I'm your host, Dr. Toy and Ali, and I'm very excited to share today's episode because we have a guest. So we have Dr. Janet Antry, who is a professor of chemistry, a passionate STEM educator, a researcher, and a dynamic speaker. She obtained her PhD in pharmaceutical sciences with a concentration in medicinal chemistry from the Ohio State University College of Pharmacy, where she currently serves as a faculty member. She holds a bachelor's degree in chemistry from the State University of New York at Binghamton, and she's an immigrant from Ghana and an advocate for minorities in STEM. She's constantly seeking to inspire, coach, and mentor students pursuing STEM degrees and careers. So thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. So happy to have you. So I'd love to start off a little conversationally. So how thank is- you for having me, first yeah. of all. Oh, yeah, of course. So thank happy to have you here. Me. Thank you for agreeing to the interview. <laughs> no problem. Yes. So the first thing that I wanted to ask is just how's your semester going so far? Ooh, so we are in week three. And I actually just gave my first exam today. So today was pretty busy, but um, the semester as a whole is get, it's going, it's going great um, so far. I always, I'm excited to meet new people, new students. Um, and so, yeah, it's going well so far, you know, it starts to pick up towards the middle, but in the beginning, we slowly uh, warm up to the, the busy lifestyle, but so far so good. Yeah, I'm about three weeks in as well. So I'm just like starting to really get to know like the personality of my classes and my students and things like that. Exactly. So speaking of, I would love to know what are the classes that you're teaching this semester? So I am teaching um, biochemistry this semester and medicinal chemistry. Uh, it's another course called Molecules to Medicine. So those are my two classes. Okay. And have you taught those before? Yes, I have. This will be my third time, third time doing it. Nice. I love teaching classes that I've taught before and just make them better every time. So that is awesome. So I'd love to get just a little background. You can go as far back as you want. You can start from childhood, college, wherever you want to start. But what led you to become a chemistry professor? Wow. <laughs> so long story, but um, ultimately, I immigrated from I might immigrated from Ghana to the U.S. Um, to pursue my education. Um, when I left Ghana, I wasn't sure what I was going to do at that time. I was just a teen and thinking through my options. So in high school, I started to explore by, you know, asking questions and shadowing and doing internship. Any opportunity that I would find to expose me to different careers, I did. And so I had considered lots of things. It started with medical doctor. I wanted to be a medical doctor. 
I tried it out. I had an internship at a medical school where we could shadow medical professionals. And I quickly realized that wasn't for me because I just could not take, you know, we went to a cadaver lab, you know, where they would learn the body parts and do all kinds. I was like, no, I can't take this. I'm no, this is not for me. So I quickly ruled out medical doctor because just the hospital, I don't like hospital settings. And I personally don't see myself as a medical doctor. So that I ruled that out. Then I wanted to do um, pharmacy because I liked chemistry. I noticed that it was one of my strongest classes. It was one of my favorite subjects. So I wanted to know what I could do with that. Of course, I knew I liked teaching, but not to the extent that I eventually um, found about myself. At the time in high school, I was I didn't think about teaching. So I thought about um, becoming a pharmacist because I'm like chemistry, pharmacy, maybe I could do something there. Then... Um, I did research with pharmacy and at the time I thought retail pharmacy was the only type of pharmacy. Mm -hmm. And again, being the first one to do this, I wasn't sure about a lot. So I was basically doing things myself because uh, my family couldn't help me with that because nobody has done what I was trying to do. And so um, I was just, asking and asking and basically pharmacy wasn't for me either um or so i thought and then so this was all in high school so when i finished high school i still didn't know i went to undergrad not knowing what i wanted to do and then in undergrad i took gen chem first year that went well i still liked chemistry in undergrad then sophomore year and undergrad when i took organic chemistry that's when the light bulb moment happened for me i enjoyed it so much i was like this is the type of chemistry i like um and it was my teacher was very good and talked about all the applications of organic chemistry and one of them was research and drug discovery and i was like that sounds great because i enjoyed the organic lectures and the lab and then she exposed you know this the concept of research i didn't even know what that was um and so i said what is that can i do research and then my um organic advisor told me to join an undergraduate research lab and that's what i did so um during that time i was also a tutor i started tutoring chemistry and that's when I was like, I enjoy the student interaction. I enjoy all the grading, passing out um, tests, getting results, all that good stuff. That was interesting to me. And so I considered, you know, PhD after undergrad because then I can do the research and do the teaching. So that's how it all started. And um, I found myself getting from undergrad into PhD and then now, now chemistry professor, but we can, I can answer anything that I didn't answer in the story. Uh, so you can ask follow-up questions and I can answer. Yeah. That you're a very great, great storyteller, by the way. I felt <laughs> like I was you. along for the journey and I kind of saw myself in your story a little bit as well, because I too tried to be kind of a doctor type of job as well. I thought I could be like an eye doctor, but similar to you, when I went to college and I took math class, I was like, 
I do still really love math. I'm going to stick with this. And what I found was very interesting about your story is that organic chemistry was the thing for you that gave you that clarity when I know so many undergraduate students are terrified of that class. Um, So I think that's amazing that you had such a good experience with that class. And I know we'll probably talk about organic chemistry a little bit later, Um, but you mentioned that in that class, you learned about like the different applications and like how it could be used. Do you use that a lot in your teaching, like sharing with your students how they can use chemistry? Yes, it is so important to me for students to not think this is some abstract concept that it's not tangible. Like, where is this thing used? Because I remember when I would take classes that were just theory and the professors will go into all the math, the calculations. My question would always be, where can I use this? Where does this fit in the world? You know, just, just tell me so I know. So for me, it is very important that when I'm teaching, the application has to come in. No matter how basic the concept is, the application is in real life because science is everything around us. And so It's not a strange subject. It's everyday use. You probably can't see it right now, but I want to make those connections for you right away. So yes, for me, it's a big deal. I bet your students really connect with that. That's probably the things they remember most from your classes is like the applications you bring up. Absolutely. Because for instance, in my biochemistry class, we talk about, you know, how protein, for instance, and how it plays a role in different diseases. So the disease part doesn't have to come in in a traditional biochem class, but proteins is heavy part of biochemistry. And we know a lot of diseases that have protein um, that come about because of protein structure malfunction or protein um, synthesis that didn't happen well. So why can't we connect those two concepts so that people can see right away? This is why I need to learn protein because they, they they do this and do that. And they, if something happens, it will cause a disease. So I always have to have that connection. And yes. the students love it. Yes. I love hearing like your passion when you talk about chemistry and um, the way you teach your classes. I'm sure your students love your classes because you probably make it very, very interesting. I try my best. <laughs> <laughs> it comes through when you're talking about it, for sure. Um, so let's actually go back a little bit and talk about when you first started teaching. So after getting your PhD, mm-hmm. maybe share a little bit about when you got your job, what that experience was like. Was it difficult, overwhelming? Okay. When did you finally get the hang of it? And then yep. if anything changed now, now that you are a senior lecturer? <laughs> Okay, so my journey, I um, so in PhD, right, doing the research, I was also a teaching assistant, and I, I again loved it. I even requested to co-teach a class with the professor. Um, so I had my own. I had to prepare my own lecture slides. I had to prepare questions. I just wanted to test it out to see what the back end looks like. And so I was a co-instructor for a class during my PhD. And again, that confirmed to me that I actually enjoy this thing. So I knew that I wasn't the industry. I wasn't going to go into industry. We know the two big paths after PhD is industry, academia, and then others. (laughs) So the two big ones. (laughs) So everybody would ask, are you doing industry or academia? And 
everyone around me knew that I was the, I was going to go the academia route. Um, no question. And so I started looking for jobs in my last year of my PhD program. I also knew I didn't want to do a postdoc either. I was done. <laughs> I was like, I'm done with school. <laughs> I have paid my dues. I have learned a lot. I am trained and ready to face the workforce. No more. So I was looking for a job um, post-graduation. And so I started a year out to look for positions before I would even write my dissertation and defend and all that good stuff because I knew the market isn't very um, hot. Like, you know, people aren't hiring a hundred professors one day in, in a year. So you start, I started early and I, I kept asking people, talking to people, trying to find the different kinds of professors. That's one thing I never understood, never understood. I was like, professor. Okay. But there are so many, I would hear the assistant professor, associate, full professor, emeritus, lecturer, what are all those things? Um, and somehow lecturer sounds like at the time, now I know better that it was like the least of the rankings or something like mm -hmm. that. So I was like, I want to do assistant professor, the normal start. Because, you know, in PhD, again, nobody's really teaching you these things. So you kind of learn it on your way. Um, so I'm happy that you do podcasts like this so that people can hear, you know, how to navigate. Uh, and so for me, I spoke to my PI and a couple of the people in my dissertation committee that I want to be a professor. And then, um, but I didn't want the R01 intense research kind of an institution. I just knew that wasn't for me too. Um, and so I ended up um, applying for a job in small liberal arts schools around Ohio. So I, I avoided all the big schools and I'm like, I don't want, I, I don't want that. I want small liberal arts where the focus is more on teaching because again, I knew that was my strength and that's something that I wanted to dedicate more time to. The R1 teach, um, teaching is lighter and the research is more. I wanted more teaching, less research. So that's how I ended up looking at small liberal arts school, like with the population of 2000 people, 3000 people. And I got one, I got an offer from one of the schools in Ohio. And so I didn't have to move states. Mm -hmm. um, I got a job right close to my house. So, and I went to Ohio State and the job was like 12 minutes from Ohio State. So that was Ohio Dominican University. I started there as an assistant professor. Um, and mainly I had to teach and then Research. I had to do research, but if you broke it down in percentage, the research was the smallest one. So that worked for me. And I did that for four years. I was teaching there um, for four years. And then um, I later found out about lecturership. Later found out about lecturership in big schools. They have the lecturership. Uh, if you don't want, if you want to do more teaching and less of the research, you can be a lecturer position. Um, so because I was already an assistant professor, when I was applying for this new role, I applied for senior lecturer because I had already mm -hmm. done four years 
somewhere else, right? And so I brought experience and other things. So I came into this role straight as an as a senior lecturer. Okay. So I went from assistant professor to senior lecturer at my current institution. And so pretty much that's what I've been doing now for the past two years in this assistant um, lecture, a senior lecturer role at Ohio State. So now I'm at a big school, but I don't have the research burden. <laughs> yeah. I'm clapping because your story is very similar to mine. There were a few things that I want to like point out that you said. The first thing was that when you were in grad school, you identified that you love teaching and you started researching the different types of positions. And that's something that we, I feel like we all don't know until we start applying for jobs, what the different names mean, because sometimes they mean different things at different universities and it can be very confusing. Um, but like you, I was also attracted to the lecturer position. I'm a lecturer as well. Um, I started as a lecturer and then got promoted to senior lecturer, but I love that you shared this story because there's so many different paths. Um, how is how does the workload compare? So when you were an assistant professor at the small liberal arts school compared to a senior lecturer at the bigger school, like how many classes did you teach? What are the responsibilities and things like that? So at the small school, because your class sizes are like 24 max, you teach multiple sessions of the same thing. And so over there, I was still t I was teaching three courses um, total, but I would be doing like multiple Gen Chem ones mm -hmm. and multiple organics because of how small the class sizes were. So the workload, actually, the teaching load ended up being heavier at the small liberal arts school than in the big school. You have more students at once. So the workload is still heavy, but then you lecture one time, but now with the grading, it multiplies because of the number mm -hmm. of students um, and other things, the number of students, the number of emails, the number of office hours, doubles and stuff like that. So there, there are differences in, of course, teaching in the teaching space. There are still differences mm -hmm. in, in the workload. But at the liberal arts, I was doing, I would say more because over there, I didn't have TAs and I didn't have, so I would do the labs, I would do the lecture, I would do the grading mm -hmm. um, because there were no GTAs, grad student TAs were not a thing. Um, but then at the big school, because of the bigger class size, you have TAs and so you have to help um, so ultimately, I don't know which one, but I do know that there are differences in the workload. Yeah, I like being a um, lecturer at a bigger university because it's almost like you get the best of both worlds. You get to do the teaching, but then you have so many other resources. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I really appreciate that too. Thank you for sharing that. You also brought up something that no one else has brought up on the podcast so far. You brought up office hours. I would love to know, do you have any like um, norms or expectations that you set with your students around office hours or how often are you having office hours? How long are they? 
Um, I usually have um, a set time for office hours, which I put on my syllabus. So you would know from day one, I'm available on Tuesdays and Wednesdays at so-so-and-so time. Find me in my office at that time. And then um, I encourage students to come. In class, I try to remind them, hey, I have office hours after class today. Stop by. And I also, I have TAs and they also host office hours. Mm -hmm. So usually they run for about an hour um, each session. And there are like two sessions for me and the TAs have their own. Um, so I have office hours for each of my classes. So I have one for biochem and medchem and the students can find me in my office mm -hmm. and ask questions. They usually it's open office hours. So students come together and ask questions. Some come to sit and listen to other people's questions. I do get really good um, participation in office hours because I encourage it a lot. That's good. I find that you have to mention it a lot for the students to actually feel comfortable to come. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Okay. Let's transition because I met you online because you were doing some very interesting work with underrepresented students in STEM. Um, and so you created like your own learning experiences, like outside of your university work mm -hmm. to help with these students. So when did you decide to do that? What is it all about? <laughs> so I decided to do that in uh, two, almost two years ago, I just um, wanted to help. Ultimately, um, in the community that I live in, I am I'm Ghanaian. I go. To, I live. I usually wherever I've lived in America, there's a high immigrant population. I try to live close to my people, so yes. I feel at home. <laughs> and I noticed that. In those environments, you know, the students who are about to go to college tend to be first generation. Mm -hmm. Their parents are blue collar workers, never schooled in America, and really want the best for their kids, but aren't able to help just because they don't know the ins and outs about this whole college system, you know? Kindergarten through 12th grade is kind of figured out for you. You don't have to do much. Wherever you live, you're going to find a school close by and you're going to go to it. But now it's time for college and now you're in charge and you need to pick. You need to decide. You need to apply. And the parents are like, I can't really be of help. So I noticed that there was a gap in my community and the parents needed the help. And here I am, I'm in higher ed. I know the system. I know how to help. Mm -hmm. And so it, it was kind of like a response to a need. And um, so I started, I said, I'm going to be available, even though we're very busy. Um, I'm going to make some time during the week where I dedicate to this mentorship and college planning, helping students figure out what they want to do. You know, students will come to me with questions that their parents just couldn't answer, not because they just didn't know. Um, and so I would be able to answer, you know, they wouldn't even understand the differences in majors. Like they know career, but you know, you have to go through some steps to get to the end career, you know, like say I want to do nursing uh, and then, or medicine. 
the kid knows this, but they don't know the process to get there. So I would be the one to tell them the process. I would be the one to help them through the process in my program. So that's how it all started. I love that. I I find that when I speak to people who really have a passion for teaching, they also have this like passion to help just in any way. And I think That's it's right. really cool that you found a way to help the people in your community to succeed and get to where you are. So what specific like offers or courses or things do you have for these students? <clears throat> right now I do college planning. That's my uh, biggest thing that I do. So I um, students come into my program by their graduating school year. Mm -hmm. So for instance, right now, class of 24, the high school seniors right now, it's college application season. And so if they hear about me or someone in the community, I usually go and give talks at churches and in the community. So a parent will hear about my offering and, you know, enroll their their child in the program. So I do it where you you can come into the program if you're a class of 24, pretty much at any time um, before you go to college. So you can come in first day of your senior year or midway in your senior year. At any point you find me in your senior year, I will be able to help. But the earlier, the better, because the application, I want to help with the application season, even the essays and picking the right school, picking the right school is so important. There's so much skill that goes into that and people are not able to decide. So the earlier you find me, the better it is that I can help you from the start to finish. Students, when they come into the program, they usually stay under my watch um, for, for a while. Um, but initially, that's where the groundwork is done. We do the initial planning and then the rest would be kind of like supervising, maintaining, managing, watching you from a distance, give me updates, let me know how you're doing. So I don't work with a ton of people at the moment just because I don't have capacity for it. So I just try to do a handful of students who are really in need because that's what I can offer. I can't do too much. Yeah, but it still makes a difference. I love that. I always try to like highlight what people are doing to like make an impact because for anyone who's listening, who's like, oh, well, I like the classes I teach, but I feel like there should, there's more that I could be doing. So here's right. one example. Exactly. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. Okay, so this podcast is all about the most effective teaching strategies that college instructors use. So I asked you, what are your most effective teaching strategies? You mentioned Think, Pair, Share, and Top Hat. So I would love to for you to share like what they are and how you use them in your classes. Okay, so first let's start with um, Top Hat. It's like um, a clicker platform where you can do, so it's like pull everywhere, mm -hmm. but you know, at our institution, they don't support pull everywhere. So we use top hat for the same, for the same thing. So what I do is um, when I'm lecturing, I, I don't do flip classroom. I know you, do, I think you do flip mm -hmm. classroom. I do. Yeah. yeah. So I don't, I, I lecture in class and then, um, during lecture, I have these clicker questions 
embedded in my lectures and where you would click in your answer will be on the top hat. So you can download and put in a class code. It also helps you take attendance. I teach a very big mm -hmm. class. And um, so I can see who's there because I do give um, incentives for students to attend in person. We know it's in person on 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 the registration platform. <laughs> they know it's in person, but we know students want to convert everything to remote learning. Mm -hmm. And so what I do is um, I make these top hats and it's random. Sometimes you don't know when I'm going to do it. And when you do do it, you do get participation points. So I don't do it for correctness. Mm -hmm. I just want to engage the students. So when I present a question, so during the lecture, when I feel like I need to clarify something, I convert that concept into a question. I know topics that sometimes by definition or by explaining, students can't really understand it. But when you convert it to a question, now they can see how it converts mm -hmm. to a question. So when I will, I will project the question, they will um, submit their response, but I don't show the correct answer. And then that's where the think pair share comes. Ooh. So you would then um, check with your partner and share that I submitted response A. What did you respond? How, why did you respond? And they can share answers and talk about it before I would show the whole class what the final correct answer is. So that's really how I break up my lectures so that I'm not talking for such a long time. Mm -hmm. I break it up like every 10 or so minutes and students get to talk to each other even during the class. Because like I said, again, in a big classroom, there's only so much you can do, but this works very well and um, I like it and students like it too. That's awesome. I bet that's so engaging. I haven't heard of anyone pairing the top hat with the think pair share. That's so good because they've already decided their answer, but now they have something to talk about because their answer is locked in. So they have something to talk about with their classmate. I'm sure it's like very engaged when you do that. Do you like hear the hum of the class? Yeah. <laughs> Definitely rises. <laughs> then it quiets down. Then, yeah. you know, but I love it because, um, Again, I'm encouraging them to get to know each other, build steady groups. Even That's how you even connect with other students in the class. Otherwise, you're just sitting there facing me all the time and then you're out. So this is encouraging that whole classroom culture where we know each other and can, you can find somebody to study with outside of class and whatnot. Yeah. So it's been really effective so far. Oh, that's awesome. I love that it's low stakes too, because I'm imagining it's multiple choice, right? That's so right. it's very easy to answer and it's not mm -hmm. like terrifying. So nope. I, I think that's awesome. Quick question about the top hat. Are students using their phones to do this or do they have to have some external clicker? No, they can use their phones, iPads. Um, most people have devices. So our school used to provide iPads for every oh, student. Wow. Mm -hmm. during the, especially during the uh, pandemic and they've kept it since then I heard that it's going away soon okay. but the cohort that I have now all have iPads um, and so what you can do with your phone is really easy that's really cool that's awesome
Oh, that's an awesome strategy. So I don't always flip my class in my upper level class or mid-level class. I teach applied linear algebra and it typically has about 30 or so students. Um, but yeah, I like the aspect of answering a short question, think, pair, share. I think I'll probably try that in that class. That's awesome. <laughs> yep. Yes. Okay. So I imagine that there'll be some new instructors listening to this podcast or watching it. Um, do you have any like little bits of teaching advice for new college instructors that you think will be helpful for them? <laughs> yes. So I would say always think about, I always try to remind myself when I was a student mm -hmm. and things that didn't work for me in my mm -hmm. classrooms and how I want to make the experience better for the students in my classroom. So number one, being very organized is going to be key because students like to know a lot upfront. Yes. Set the tone, set the, 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 your, even your own, what's it called? Your personality and um, classroom culture. Things like that, make sure that you are clear about it because they need to know you. They don't know you. And they've had other professors. Everyone is different. Mm -hmm. And you don't want them assuming that you're like somebody else. I always tell my students, listen, if you find me taking pictures in the hallway, do not, don't worry about me. I love pictures. <laughs> like, <laughs> even things like that. I, I tell them, I... Yeah, this is this is Dr. Inchi and that this is going to be my personality in this class. I I'm a little bit social, so sometimes we can just stop the signs and talk about life mm -hmm. and 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 things like that. So I try to relax in the classroom. I try very hard not to be a stiff, uptight kind of a person. Uh, um there is respect in my room and that you would find so because the, the tone of respect has been set for both of us, we can now relax mm -hmm. and just learn. And, and, and the ultimate goal is to learn. So make it comfortable so that people will be excited to learn, excited to learn. So I try my best to make it very friendly, easygoing, but very firm. We don't compromise on the science. We don't compromise on anything but we're relaxed about it. <laughs> we're not stiff about it. Yes. Yes. I love that. I find that your teaching philosophy is very similar to mine. I'm just like, yes, agree. Agree. 100%. I love that. And I love that you, your advice was to kind of put yourself in the shoes of the student and think, well, what are they going through and mm -hmm. how might they best understand the material? Like what does the culture of the class need to be to That's support right. them? So I appreciate that. Thank you so much for sharing that advice. Oh, you're very welcome. And, um, you know, as new instructors, listen, you're not going to be perfect. Mm -hmm. And so get rid of that whole um, need to be perfect, imposter syndrome. Don't compare yourself to other people who've been doing it for years and even how they've been doing it. I always try to stay very original and do things, you know, best I can. Uh, once I, I know the best practices, I take all of it and make it my own yeah. because I can't be anyone else. 
Yes, I love that. That is perfect. I think that's the perfect note to end on. So for people who are interested in learning more about you and following you, where can people find you online? I am on all socials, Dr. Janet Ainge, um, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram. I'm everywhere on LinkedIn. Um, and also I have a website. You can find out more about what I do. I'm also a public speaker. I go to places to speak. So if you need to invite me to come speak to your youth, please, by all means, contact me on my website. Yes. Yeah. I love following you on social media. Oh, and thank you. Share, like what you're doing, all your teaching stuff, you and your classes, which is awesome. So yeah, definitely give her a follow. Thank you so much, Dr. Janet Antree for joining us today. And thank, thank you everyone you. for listening and tuning in and happy teaching. Thank you. Thanks for having me again. And thanks for this great program. Oh yeah, of course.